Would you take your Bibles and let's turn to Psalms as we, to the book of Psalms as we continue our study through this one particular Psalm, Psalm 119, and we have made our way, as Brandon said to the children, to Zion, which we're going to find in verses 49 to 56. If you are able and willing, would you please stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God? Remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. The insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. This blessing has fallen to me, that I have kept your precepts. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me, please? Our God in heaven, would you now take your word and meet it with your spirit in our hearts? And mold us and make us into the men, women, children that you've called us to be. Where we need to be encouraged, would you encourage us? Where we need to be reproved, would you do so? Even, Lord, if we need to be rebuked, would you do so gently but firmly? That you might draw us near. Lord, in my weakness, may your strength be made manifest. May my voice not be a distraction from your word. But would you teach us, and would our hearts see Christ high and lifted up? We pray in his name, amen. Please be seated. There's a phrase that when I was a dad to younger children that I did not like to hear. And I'm going to tell you what that is, and then I'm going to tell you why I didn't like to hear it. And this will probably resonate with some of you. And the phrase was this, but dad, remember what you said. Anybody heard that before? Yeah, we've heard that before. And it's not that I didn't like it because my children were somehow saying something that they shouldn't have said, for after all, they truly were reminding me of what I had said. It's not that I didn't like it because I didn't want to do what I had said. In fact, I did. In fact, that's, that's why I didn't like to hear it. Because although I wanted to do it, I often failed to do that. Often failed to do that which I said I would do. See, those words often reminded me of, of my own failures. They often reminded me of the stock that my children put into the words I said and then how often I actually let them down. They'd put their hope in things that I would say and I couldn't or maybe just didn't deliver on them. As we come to this particular portion of the psalm here, there's only one petition in this section. 
where again each phrase begins with that Hebrew letter Zion. But the rest that follow, they all follow from this one petition. And they're not petitions at all, they're just statements. Statements of truth, statements of fact. And they all flow from that one petition. Remember your word to your servant. And that may seem odd. It may seem odd that the psalmist asked God to remember his word to him. Particularly when all these statements of, of hope and comfort and joy and blessing are rooted in that first petition. After all, is he, is he questioning God? Is he questioning God's memory as if God could somehow forget? No, that's not what he's doing. The psalmist is not asking him to remember because God has somehow forgotten or because God has somehow failed in delivering. So he said, then what is he doing? Spurgeon says it this way. Spurgeon says he makes use of the promise as a plea. That is to say that the psalmist is so sure of God's promises, that he's so trusting of God's word, that he places himself within that promise. So in many ways, much like a child who trusts his earthly father, the psalmist is saying, God, remember what you said. Remember what you said. You see, his petition is this. Lord, treat me, deal with me, do with me according to your word. Because the psalmist understands how good God's word is to him. So, Lord, deal with me according to your word. You see, it is God's word that can be trusted. That's been one of the themes that we've learned over and over and over again, hasn't it been? And we need to be reminded of that over and over again. This psalm has been so relevant, so applicable to faith and life, hasn't it? But not as if it wouldn't be in another time of history. I think sometimes we think we live in a time in history that's so different from any other time. That no Christians have ever lived in a world like this one. They've never had the struggles that we've had. Now, I don't mean it like that. I mean it in this way, that the psalm has been so relevant because it has always been relevant. Because it is God's word. But I would say that it does seem that this particular, this particular psalm has been really good for us of late. I would say that of myself, and I hope that's true for you as well. We've mentioned it before. In a world where we might not know who it is that we can trust. In a world where, we, where in fact, a lot of times we can't trust anything we hear or maybe even see. In a world where we're led to believe that truth is determined by parties or by tribes or maybe by the ones who yell the loudest about something. In a world where definitions are no longer applied by the ones who hold a particular belief or position, but applied by those who hate them. 
in an effort to discredit them. In a culture where, or in a culture that is increasingly hostile to the Christian faith, this psalm has been incredibly relevant. Why? Because it holds forth God's word as our hope. It's simple, isn't it? God's word can be trusted. And to be clear, the fact that I mention the culture around us, I think sometimes, sometimes as soon as I or we speak about the culture, our focus somehow shifts and we begin to think of the culture out there rather than about our own hearts. This, just because I mention the culture doesn't mean that this is a message for the culture, for it is not indeed. It's a message for us. It's a message for the church. As we're called to live as God's people in this world, as it's for us as the church, as, our, as we seek to stand firm in the truth of the Word of God, it's for us as we seek comfort in the midst of affliction. It is for us as our minds need to be reminded of those things that God loves and those things that God hates. It's for us as we seek to live lives of joy and blessing, bringing honor and glory to the name of the Lord. This part of the psalm reminds us of our comfort in affliction. It teaches us the appropriateness of a righteous indignation. And it reminds us of the source of our song as we sojourn in this life. So let's look at those three things this morning, shall we? Let's look first to comfort in affliction. And I, I mentioned, just mentioned in the introduction, that we began with this one and only request right here at the beginning of this section. Remember your word to your servant. And again, it's not as if God needs help to remember but it is the psalmist's plea. It's the source of his plea um, as he brings it before the Lord. God, you have said, remember your word. He's asking in accord with what God has already promised. And that's a proper thing for, uh, for Christians to do, isn't it? To ask according to God's word. And, and notice how he follows it up. He says, in which you have made me hope. And several, several times, the way that the author puts something in the psalm is just so interesting to me, so striking to me. And this, this is one of those times. You see what he's saying? He's saying, Lord, my, my hope is in your word because you've caused my hope to be there. Because you've made the promise and you're the one that never lies. So therefore, I can certainly trust your word. So Lord, you've given me this. You've caused me to trust in it. Now don't let me down. Because you see, the psalmist understands that God never lets his people down. God never fails in his promises. My hope is in your word because you've always been faithful to your word. You've, you always do as you say you will do. So I'm asking, I'm asking in accord with your faithful word. I'm going to push all of us here just a little bit. I don't do it just for the sake of being controversial because it's not necessarily controversial when properly understood. 
But it might push us a little bit because as soon as I say this, there will be many of us who hear this and go, oh, we need to be really careful about all that. You know what the psalmist is doing here? The psalmist is naming it and claiming it. And you may say again, wait a minute. Chris has gone off the deep end here, hasn't he? No. He's only naming and claiming that which God has already promised. You see, the problem with contemporary name it and claim it theologies is that they're naming and claiming something that God hasn't promised. And they will be let down for that. And then they turn around and blame God for it when God never promised it. But you see, here we learn that it is completely appropriate to take God at his word. That's simply believing him, isn't it? It's simply believing his word. And, and that's our comfort. And the psalmist says, that's my comfort in, that's my comfort in my affliction, that your, that your promise gives me life in the, in the midst of struggle, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of suffering, the, the promise of God gives life and hope. Psalmist understands this. And, and, and in fact, the psalmist says, the insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. And we might read that and say, the insolent, what exactly does that mean? Well, what that means is that there are those, there are those that are arrogant, there are those that are rude, there are those that are hostile to God's people and to God's word. And they often are hostile to God's, and they often, and they often deride God's people, make fun of him. They, they seek to have him turn away from God's law, but he doesn't. He doesn't turn away from God's law because why? Because there the blessings found. There's life there. And the psalmist understands that. I can't help but to think even of the simplest elementary application that can be expanded from this text to every area or different stage of life. You young people, for example, you might in life get made fun of because you refuse to participate in things that your friends participate in. You might. You college kids, you may get derided and scorned because you don't buy into all the wicked or worldly philosophies. You might. Men, women, you may lose opportunities because you refuse to bow to the things of the world. You might. And we all struggle with that, don't we? Regardless of what stage of life we find ourselves in. We all struggle with maybe asking the question, well, will I miss out? Am I going to be missing something if I don't participate with the world? Because after all, look at all the things the world promises. Maybe I'll miss out. Maybe, maybe it is worth it. Just to try and to see. Maybe we struggle with that, but the psalmist knows 
The psalmist knows. He says, your promise gives me life. He, he knows where life is found. It's not in the false promises of the world. It's not in the things of the world. But it's in the promise of God. See, none of those other things can deliver. They promise a lot, but they can't deliver. None of those things give life. But over and over and over again, they prove themselves to fail. But God, on the other hand, over and over and over again, proves himself faithful. What is it that we trust? What are the things we put our hope in, we strive after? And, and I love how he says this next thing. He says, when I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. Doesn't it seem that people are always looking for the next thing? Or maybe they're looking for the newest thing, the newest thing to, to bring life, the newest thing to bring fulfillment, the newest thing to bring satisfaction, the, the, the newest fad to post on Instagram or whatever, so everybody thinks we're great, whatever it is. That new thing, it seems like we're always after that. Even when it comes to church life, even, even when it comes to things of the faith. But the psalmist doesn't look for something new. In fact, the psalmist looks backward to something really old. God's rules from of old. Why does he do that? Well, because he's wise. Because he understands that God never changes. So it makes sense, doesn't it? That we look at those things that never change. Look to the one who never changes. Look to the one who knows the end from the very beginning. The one in whom there is no shadow of change. For whom what was right and true yesterday is right and true tomorrow. There is something that is true Talk about something that's countercultural. You want to be countercultural? Put that one on for a while. God never changes. The same yesterday, today, and forever. I can't help but to think of Paul's words to Timothy, where he says, But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Don't turn from what you've learned because it's there where wisdom is found unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Don't turn from it. Don't turn from what you've learned. And, and talk about a comfort Talking about a comfort for those that belong to the Lord. Your salvation is found in Christ Jesus. And, and even while, and we have been over and over again, encouraged unto obedience, and we are here again, obedience to the law of God, even as we're reminded that the blessing is found in obeying God's law, we're reminded here that these, from these words from Paul, that salvation is found, isn't found in the works that you do. It's not because of the, of, of, that you've earned it, but because of Christ's work for you. You see, that should serve as a comfort for us. 
We're comforted ultimately in Christ Jesus, even as we find our comfort in obedience to the Lord. And we're going to see here in just a few moments how this comes back full circle at the end of this section of the psalm. So keep that in the back of your mind for just a moment. That our comfort is ultimately in Christ. And I want you to notice this. There's this juxtaposition of this next thought here. In fact, there's a couple times that this takes place. I'll mention another one in just a moment. But it's almost, it's almost jarring, the switch that the, that the psalmist makes. We go from comfort in God's word to this hot indignation. He says, hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. And it's interesting here, the Hebrew word that's used here, it means a raging heat or, or a burning. And so what he's speaking about is this, is this, um, this uh, burning righteous anger in his heart. Or, we'll talk about this as well, or just this burning in his heart. And, but first we ask, well, what's it against? Well, he answers that for us because of the wicked. Because of the wicked who forsake God's law. Well, and that's certainly politically correct, incorrect, isn't it? I mean, the culture around us would want us to believe that, that anger against wickedness is somehow immoral. More than that, to call something, to call something wicked is somehow immoral. That's what the culture would have us to believe. It's sure self-righteous if you do something like that. And notice here, the psalmist is more than calling things wicked. He's saying that there are those that are wicked. That there are those that are wicked. And who are the wicked? The wicked are those who forsake God's law. Those that turn their back on God's law. The psalmist loves the law of God so much that to see it forsaken angers him. It angers him. And I wonder, I think that's a fair question, does it anger us? Does it anger you? Or, or maybe you're more angered when you're offended than when God is offended. Or maybe you're more bothered by your life of ease being disrupted then you are bothered by God's law being broken. I think sometimes that's the case, isn't it? Are you more concerned with a political agenda than you are with righteousness? It's a fair question to ask, isn't it? What burns you? What causes that fire within you? What are the things that drive you? What are the things about which you are passionate? Do they center around the Word of God? Are they things concerning this world alone? Or are they things concerning eternal things? Which kingdom are you more concerned about? The kingdom of man or the kingdom of God? 
And notice the psalmist's anger, it isn't taken out on the wicked. And this is interesting, and it causes us to have to think a little bit and to use wisdom. He's angry because of the wicked who forsake God's law, but his anger isn't personal. It's not directed at them, but it's because of them. I'm making that distinction because I think we, we ought to make that distinction. We ought to be able to make that distinction. Because it helps us understand the world around us. Why, why would we expect the world to act any differently than the world acts? We shouldn't. They know not the Lord. Why would we expect the world to behave like Christians? Sometimes it's probably even fair to ask the question, why do we expect the world to ask, act like Christians when we Christians don't even act like Christians? And it's interesting, too. Calvin thinks that there is also a sense in which the psalmist, is, his heart is gripped not only because of God's law being forsaken, but also that his heart is gripped by the terror of the judgment that awaits those who forsake God's law. So that while there's great comfort for those who walk in the way of the Lord, there is then no comfort. In fact, there's judgment that awaits those who forsake it. And then what should the application be for us then? Shouldn't that give us a heart for them to do what? To hear the gospel. And to respond, and that their hearts might be changed and their sin forgiven, and they live unto the Lord instead of against Him. Now, that's, that's not the force of this particular text here, but it is a result of the text. It's an application of the text, for sure. We can, at the same time, have a righteous indignation because of the wicked, as well as a heart that breaks for their condemnation. Now, I know that's hard. I know it's hard to even think about how do we do that? How do we, how do we at the one and the same time burn with righteous indignation that God's law is being broken by the wicked around us and yet at the same time our heart break that that wicked one will be condemned? For all eternity. But that is the heart we should have. Again, I mentioned just a moment ago that this particular section of this psalm is, is really interesting to me. I mentioned earlier that, that one juxtaposition and we'd see another one. Well, here, here's this other one. Um, we went from comfort to... to um, hot indignation, and now we've, we've got another jump. We've got another switch. And that's from hot indignation now to singing songs. See it? He says, your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. So what brings condemnation to those who forsake the law, to those that do not know the Lord brings a song to the heart of those that do. It is a song in the heart of those that do. For the psalmist, the law of God brings joy. 
It should for us. It should bring joy for us. And, and singing then is an indication of that joy. That's the, that's the response. That's how, we, that's, how we, uh, uh, that's how we show it. It's by our singing. Singing is something that Christians do. Period. In Acts 16, the Philippian jailer where he's converted... Scripture tells us that Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They were praying and singing hymns while imprisoned. Why? How could they do that in the midst of being in jail? Persecuted for standing for the gospel, they pray and they sing. How can they do such a thing? Because their joy wasn't found in their circumstances. Their joy was found in the Lord. Their hope was in the Lord. And his song is on their lips. Just like the psalmist is saying here. And the believer in the Lord Jesus, the believer is a sojourner. He's a pilgrim in a world not his own. This is not our home. But understanding that, it's that truth that allows us to sing a song. It's the hope of what Christ has done for us in securing a future for us. We can sing in the midst of this world because this world isn't all there is. There is more to come. Your hope isn't found here. You can sing in the midst of struggle here because you have all things in Christ Jesus. You can sing in the midst of trial and tribulation here because your reward's not found here. You have all things in Christ Jesus. You can sing because this world is not your home. I know we struggle with that and I know we, we treat it as such and boy, do we ever want to hang on to it. But it's not your home. Christians, sing. Period. Just let that pull on you a little bit. Boys, he writes, says, it's always been natural for Christians to sing of what is lodged joyfully in their hearts, and their worship services have always been characterized by joyous hymn singing. You know, you can tell a lot about a church by its singing. You can tell a lot about the maturity of a church by its singing. You can tell a lot about the joy of a church by its singing. You can even tell a lot about the beliefs of a church by its singing. How do we sing? What words do we sing? Who sings? All those things. You know, a lot of people listen to others sing. Even the world does that. The world loves to do that. The world loves to listen to others sing. But Christians sing. Often we even find it in churches where we 
just listen to others. Where the congregation listens while others do it for them. But we, as Christians, are called to sing. I don't know about you, but what a joy it was. And um, to sit right there and to see. I don't even know how many kids there were up here, but there were tons of them. And seeing them sing the truths of faith. What a joy. What a joy. And you children that were singing, great job. Great job. Sing to the Lord a new song. Has the Word of God taken root in your heart such that you sing of Him? Not just as a church corporately, but what about you individually? Has the gospel of God gripped you in that way that you've got a song in your heart? Song on your lips. And you may say, oh, but I can't sing. That's all right. A lot of us can't. But we do. Because Christians sing. And it's one of the reasons why it's important that we have, that we sing songs that we know, that we've got a, a body of music that we sing. And a lot of them we repeat again and again, even like today, come thou fount of every blessing, tune thy heart to sing thy grace. Trust and obey, for there's no other way but to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. We know the words to those songs over and over and over again. We can sing them. We don't have to sing them here. We can sing them as we walk by the road and as we rise up in the morning, as we go to bed at night. At the end of our service, we sing the Apostles' Creed or Lord's Day 1 of the Heidelberg Catechism. What are we doing? We're hiding those words in our hearts so that we can recall them and we can sing them. Be reminded of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. That's what the psalmist is saying. Singing God's truth and God's word encourages us along the way. And, and it doesn't make all of life's problems go away. It doesn't. This is singing. This is joy in the midst of life's circumstances. Reminding us of the hope that we have in the Lord. Even, even here in the psalm, the psalmist, if you notice, the psalmist did not ask the Lord to remove, from, uh, remove his afflictions from him. In fact, he asked the Lord that he would give him hope in the midst of those afflictions. Isn't that interesting? To comfort him in the midst of them. Singing the Lord's word does this. It comforts us. It encourages us. It reminds us of God's promises. And God's goodness to us. I struggle with this. I struggled with this this past week. I'll be real honest. I wasn't going to share this. It wasn't in my notes. And I shared it with the first service. I might as well share it with you. Because I think it's a good exercise for us to check our own hearts. How is it that we respond and, and we suffer and tribulation do we turn to the Lord and remind ourselves of the goodness of God? 
Is there, is there that, that joy that even in the midst of circumstances that we can sing a song? <clears throat> Again, this past week, I really struggled with this. I was, um, some of you may know this, some of you know, I was sick this past week. Probably one of the sickest I've ever been in my entire life. Um, in fact, at some point, I would have rather had just died than lived to the next day. That's how bad, you ever feel that way? I felt that way this week. And so as I was thinking and praying about this psalm, and the Lord kept returning me to it, kept on being reminded of having a song in my heart and on my lips, and it occurred to me that that wasn't what was on my heart or on my lips. That I was angry. I was angry at the Lord that I was sick, not feeling well. S- several times I prayed, Lord, would you just heal me? It wasn't until I was reminded and brought back to the text where I'm reminded that, am I praying that the Lord would give me strength to stand in the midst of suffering rather than delivering me from it? That he would give me joy in the midst of it? So what was my heart? Was it joyful response to the Lord? Or was it bitterness and anger? I hate to admit that it was the second. And I had to come back to the Lord over and over again and repent, confess my sin, my nasty heart toward him, toward the world around me. Because even then, in the midst of that, this world is not all there is. I shared that with somebody a little bit earlier this morning. And he looked at me and he said, well, he said, you learned something. I said, yeah, I did. And he said, but you can also be encouraged. And I said, what was that? What do you mean? He goes, because as a believer, you can actually wish to be dead rather than walk through being sick. Because you know what awaits you is better than that. And I said, yeah, that's true. But we ought not be just looking for an escape. We're looking to honor the Lord in the midst of those things. With joy in our heart because of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. So singing the Lord's word helps us to do that. Reminds us of God's good promises. It helps us to, as the psalmist says, remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. And isn't that interesting, the way that he mentions that? Remember your name in the night. Why does he mention the night? Several reasons why he mentions the night. Probably one, one of those things is that, is that the Lord, as we lay our heads on our pillows at night, that vulnerability of needing rest, our Lord never does that. He doesn't have to. He does not sleep, nor does he slumber. We need it. But even so, sometimes it's there in the night, isn't it? Where we struggle. It's there in the night when we are often tempted. It's there in the night where we need the light of the truth of God's word in the midst of the darkness. It's often there, isn't it? 
And then look how this section ends. This is, this is beautiful. The psalmist says, This blessing has fallen to me that I have kept your precepts. I love how the psalmist speaks and thinks of God's law. How he thinks or that he knows that the keeping of the precepts is the blessing. Do you notice that? Isn't that something? The psalmist isn't looking for a blessing as a reward for obedience. Obeying God's law is the blessing for the psalmist. Do you see how he says that? And we might say, what's he mean by that? Well, he understands that obedience to the law of God is where this blessed life is found. That's, that's been what he's been saying all along, isn't it? It's where we started at the beginning of Psalm 119. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. That This is the blessing. And he gets that. He understands that. I wonder how many of us obey, thinking I'm going to obey so I get the blessing, rather than thinking me obeying is the blessing. That's what the psalmist is saying. And of course, we we read the last verse. This blessing has fallen to me that I have kept your precepts. And and we know, we, we know, we haven't kept his precepts. We know that. But the wonder of reading this in light of Christ is that those in Christ have done just that. In fact, this, brothers and sisters in Christ, this is the blessing that has fallen to you. What do I mean by that? That in Christ Jesus, you have kept his precepts. Because he's done them for you. And that's been imputed to you. What is this, what is this about? That, this is about the righteousness of Christ received by faith. This is that righteousness by faith. This is the blessing that's been given to you. This is the blessing that's fallen to you. It's the righteousness of Christ. Paul says it this way in Romans 3, and I'm, I'll, I'll stop there. He says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Brothers and sisters, in Christ Jesus, this is the blessing that has fallen to you. That you have kept his precepts. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we're thankful for this morning. We're thankful for your word. Thank you for the privilege of us getting to meet together as your people, singing together, praying together, hearing your word, reading your word together. 
seeing your children of the church sing praises to you. What a joy. Lord, might we be encouraged this morning and take comfort in Christ Jesus, who is our righteousness, in whose name we pray. Amen.